Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. Patriots Against CPS Corruption invites you to attend their march for Texas children. DFPS has failed the families of Texas. The Texas Special Committee on DFPS has also failed the parents. Time to make your voices heard and surround yourself with those on the same mission as you. Join us on the March for Our Children, September 21st, 2022, starting at 1 p.m. at 701 West 51st Street, Austin, Texas, 78751. Hope to see you all there. I have a brand new guest. I have got Jenny Ryman Schneider. She is a long-term activist and Montgomery County, Pennsylvania resident. She comes from a very close-knit community service-oriented family, and they've spent their lives working against injustices for all species, both human and non-human. That's one of the many reasons this guardianship issue is so important to her. The idea that in the year 2022, in these United States, a human being can actually own another human being is egregious. Her family has been living the nightmare of having an uninvolved, unsympathetic stranger actually completely control not just her mother, but their entire extended family after unfortunately reaching out to the county hoping for some type of assistance her siblings and her suddenly found themselves falsely accused of not properly clothing and feeding their mother not taking her to appointments using her money and other things that were easily refuted had anyone taken the time to look at medical records or speak to various specialists her mother saw the pharmacist she used neighbors friends or relatives no one bother to look at her mother's life for the past 84 years, her preferences, her habits, or anything else to show that she was basically healthy for her age, content, generous, and well-loved. A county-appointed psychologist who spent, well, possibly five to ten minutes with their mother without her consent declared she had dementia. A county-assigned lawyer read a petition written by a county social worker and took it at face value. The petition was replete with exaggerations and outright falsehoods, but it didn't matter. A series of people paid by our tax dollars had decided Mother needed the help of a complete stranger who didn't know anything about her. And at this point, eight months later, it still doesn't count. After they attended a hearing with a clearly predetermined outcome, a judge assigned with the stranger whom none of them had ever met and who didn't even speak to their mother as the owner of their mother. The stranger could immediately, without warning, decide where their mother would reside and allegedly was to be involved in what their mother ate, wore, how she got transported, and so forth. For eight months now, their mother has been in much worse situation with strangers, touching her body constantly, a frequently inaccessible call button, which she lives in fear of mother not being able to reach, and institutionalized food that has really no good nutrition value. She has endured multiple fractures and head injuries. The situation has caused her to mentally, physically, and cognitively decline exponentially, and the county claims they can't do anything. What they will do is pat themselves on the back for helping another senior. They have now gotten her into the system where they can then get their hands on her ongoing income and be given grant money. Now, Jenny wants everyone to know that they should not, under any circumstances, ask county agencies for help. And she's going to give us some pointers and tips of what to do and what not to do. And do not, under any circumstances, allow anyone you care about to become under control of a guardian. It's a malicious, dangerous system designed to separate families and take advantage of vulnerable seniors. It's unwarranted, unnecessary. It's a very harmful arrangement. I welcome you to the show, Jenny Ryman Schneider. You have a lot to teach us, and I welcome you. 
Thank you so much, Marianne. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. And oh, gosh, there's just so much to say. But essentially, um, yes, I actually grew up in a family where my dad was a township manager for 42 years. So to me, uh, you know, local government was my friend. You know, I knew everybody. Um, we would reach out to people. We were very community oriented and it never crossed my mind that reaching out to an agency would cause them to put our entire lives under a microscope. And um, then I don't know what the biological term is for uh, destroying results that you find under a microscope, but mm -hmm. um, essentially taking uh, everything they found and exploding it up and exaggerating it and making it into something it wasn't and causing the situation that we were attempting to get help with to um, instead become something that I really feel would have killed my mother if we weren't as involved as as we are. Uh, I feel terrible for the the people that are in these facilities that don't have advocates like my mother mm -hmm. does. Um, but essentially just to kind of give you a little bit of background and then I'll go through the eight months that we've been, well, actually almost a year now that we've been dealing with this. Um, my mother suffered a loss of an eye seven years ago from a botched cataract surgery. Mm. Um, she became legally blind. Her life immediately changed. Um, she was working part-time doing the tutoring that she had loved her whole adult life. Uh, she was driving and all of a sudden, bang, hey, you don't have an eye. You can't do any of that anymore. Uh, so it was devastating for all of us, of course. And she was dealing not just with it emotionally, but physically having severe headaches, you know, trying to just sort of adjust to how do I go on from here? So my sister and I uh, brought her into our home. My sister and I uh, share a home and uh, we had her here because we didn't want to send her back to the, the home she was currently living in with my brother that had stairs and um, just, you know, we knew that she was going to need more assistance. And instead of us driving back and forth all the time, we just brought her here and she lived with us for 15 months. Uh, and we had to immediately start finding new eye specialists for her and just kind of dealing with the fact that she was getting really severe headaches because the eye is like a huge muscle and you, um, mm. you know, it, it, it was just really difficult for her to adjust to the loss of an eye. And of course it was depressing and everything else. And, um, we had to get a prosthetic eye medium. It was a very involved process to get her, um, sort of stabilized after she had this horrible thing happen to her. And while this was going on, we had a friend who, came very regularly um we you know we still had to work so we had a friend here that came every day um made lunch for her made sure she took her eye drops all that kind of thing also drove her to some of the appointments during the day and we were of course here um all night overnight with her um you know and just keeping her company like sort of dealing with her issues that she was going through mentally and emotionally and at the same time, she was really missing my brother, who she had always lived with. Um, mm -hmm. He, uh, and we believe he's probably Asperger's. We don't really know exactly when we were younger, because I'm 61 and he's 60, okay? When we were younger, they didn't really, you know, diagnose these things. Uh, we just knew he, he would throw a ball and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't quite catch it right and all that. There was just something not quite right there. So, the, you know, at that time, they took everybody that didn't belong in, like, regular school just put them somewhere so mm -hmm. he's been through the special ed system so forth and so on and he um he did he did go to a to a school he did, got a business degree he's his mind is um you know he's he's very intellectually uh competent and so forth um, but he's always had some issues and he's never been able to drive so she's always been very focused on him and his well-being mm -hmm. and them being together so while she was living with us, um, every single day, she was basically the first thing she thought about when she woke up was, am I going to see him? Are you going to bring him over here? How are we going to spend time together? She was really missing living with him and really worrying about him. Actually, even probably at least as much as she was worrying about herself and her new, her new lifestyle that she had to do with, this, with not being able to work anymore and so forth. So we, we knew that we had to get them back together in a living situation 
that was easier for her to get around and and be able to be with him. Mm-hmm. So during the 15 months she was with us, well, she for about six months or so, we didn't look for any t- other type of living dwellings. We were just you know dealing with the eye thing and so forth. Right. But anyway, uh, so we started looking for a place where they could live together that had no stairs and so forth. And so we happened upon a condominium that was, uh, you know, not, not far from us so that we could continue to be very involved. And so uh, we spent a few months, we got a lot of friends um, who helped us uh, go through the house that they, we had grown up in, uh, figure out what, what could be kept and not. A lot of the stuff, some of the furniture was older than me, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So um, we had to basically embark on sort of like almost it was our first home, you know, figuring out what they needed taking months to like get in an order with furniture and linens mm-hmm. and kitchen, you know, little, you know, toaster ovens, whatever things you have to do when you move into a home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we, uh, they moved in it and uh, into there and um, we actually purchased it in uh, March of 2016. And I spent a few months there uh, with her still living at my house and him still living in the house where we grew up. And I spent time there getting it all in order. And then they moved in in August of 2016 and very shortly thereafter sold the house we had grown up in and it didn't sell for much. It was old and it hadn't been maintained well. I mean, it was, um, you know, just, it was was just sold for whatever we could get for it. So, um, but in any case, uh, when we were in the process of selling the house, our mother clearly said to us, and prior to that, she had said to my sister, can you please buy a bigger car because I can't drive anymore and you're going to have to drive both of us now, my, mm-hmm. you know, her and, and my brother everywhere. Uh, so my sister had done that. And again, she had been living with us and we had been doing everything for her for, for 15 months at this point, by the time that she moved into the condo. So when the house we had grown up in uh, was sold, she basically said, hey, you know, whatever you need to do. Um, she knew we had been taking extra time off of work to drive her around and make sure she and my brother got together and made sure we got this new living situation in order and so forth. Uh, you know, and what most parents would do is if your kids are struggling, you know, I, I mean, and as I know, according to the law, you can gift your kids $15,000 a year without even any tax implications to them. So it's not an unusual thing for people to give money to their adult children. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially in our situation where we were basically so intricately involved with her daily life, you know, and my brother's daily life. So basically uh, she said, whatever you need to do, she doll, she said dolls. She always called us dolls. That's a very, a lot of Jewish people do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure other people do too, but anyway, she said, dolls, whatever you need, you've been taking such, you know, good care of me for, and, you know, both of us, and you're going to continue to need to drive us and so forth, whatever you need to do, you know, this is the house you grew up in, you know, use it for, use the money for however you need. Okay. And of course we were going to continue to use it to, you know, be with her and take her places and make sure she visited her sister who also couldn't drive anymore at that point and all that kind of thing. So, um, we got them moved in and things were pretty much okay for a few years. You know, we were, you know, exhausted from our own lives and driving her to appointments and driving him to appointments and so forth and so on. Um, and then about a year ago, it was just actually August of last year. Um, and at some point in there, and I have to go back through my notes, but at some point in there, I had contacted the county previously at the advice of a friend who does home health care. Um, and basically gotten nowhere with them saying like, she makes too much money. We can't help you. So we're, we're, we're always in that situation as I'm sure millions of Americans are where you make over the threshold to get any type of assistance that you don't have to pay for, but not really having enough to do anything outside of your normal day-to-day functioning. Uh, mm-hmm. so we just kind of kept on plugging along there and we had a couple friends that would periodically uh, pick mom up and take her to an eye appointment or something. But we were just really getting to the point where this has been going on for years. It's just really overwhelming. Maybe if we reach out again, you know, mm. there's something, some service we don't, we don't know. Um, so my brother um, actually asked my mother's visiting doctor. So there was a doctor that came periodically to um, 
check on her prosthetic eye, take her blood pressure and all that. Uh, maybe if you reach out to the county, he says to her, um, and say, we, you know, we really need help. Uh, and just anything, we don't care, you know, somebody to clean once in a while or somebody to drive us to an appointment once in a while, just to kind of alleviate this huge burden on my sisters. They've been doing everything. And even before she lost her eye, I mean, we were, there were a lot of times when, you know, we would take them, if we were going to a family gathering, we'd be the ones driving. She wasn't responsible for it, all that. So we were just really feeling this overwhelming sense of, of need. Uh, so the doctor, we don't know exactly what transpired is the thing. The doctor said, sure, I'll, you know, call, see what I can do. We don't know exactly who she called or exactly what transpired. Next thing we know, a couple days later, someone's knocking on the door saying, um, we got a report of need. They called it need at the time, which mm -hmm. need, okay, need sounds pretty innocuous. You need help, right? Mm -hmm. Um we got a report of need and we just wanted to sort of check on the situation. So next thing we know, um, the, so the someone from the county called me, a social worker from the county called me. She later said that she was not able to reach us, which was an outright lie. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't able to reach us. We weren't involved. They had to take my mother because we weren't involved, all this and that. Um, I actually have a text message that I had sent my sister while I'm talking to the woman saying, hey, this woman called me from the county. She sounds really nice. She sounds like she wants to help us. I was so snowed, so snowed. Mm. Um, mm. And so my first point here is people just don't do this. Um, do anything you can. Talk to anybody you know. Get any friends you can. Even if you can only pay five cents, pay somebody, anybody. Just right. don't get these services involved. Um, mm. So... Uh, but anyway, at this point in time, I was still believing, you know, we're going to get some type of help here. This woman's trying to assess the situation. Um, and she's, she had seen the house and she said the house is not in great shape, which it wasn't. And we didn't dispute that. And we also did not dispute that my mother had a cognitive impairment. We were aware of that. We're not delusional. You know, she's 84 years old. Her memory's not what it used to be. But, you know, she was content. Um being with my brother still kind of just hanging out in the house, having regular company. We went almost every single day, even if she didn't have an appointment or he didn't have an appointment to just get them out in the, into the community. A lot of times, um, and this is one of the sticking points for me, they loved Panera bread. So almost every day we would kind of drop them off at a Panera bread and they'd hang out for a couple hours and eat, you know, we'd come back after work or whatever. One of the things they said is that she was not being fed properly because there wasn't much food in the house. Well, when they first moved in, I took the, the knobs off the stove intentionally. It was a gas stove. I didn't want them accidentally mm -hmm. turning it on. They couldn't cook. Neither one of them could cook. We were aware of this going in. We didn't want them to cook. We didn't need them to cook. There was no reason for them to have any type of food in the house besides things they could just kind of grab quickly and munch on. Mm -hmm. So mostly mm -hmm. what they had in the house were things like raisins and, you know, maybe a little fresh fruit and uh, my family loves seaweed and all kinds yeah. of things that, you know, like just kind of health, really healthy snacks and, you know, nuts and uh, fig bars and things like that. A lot of uh, packaged items that they could just grab for snacks while they were around the house. So one of the big contentions of the county was she was not being properly fed. And they based this solely on the fact that she did not have food in her house. We mm. told many, many people, um, I said, somewhat jokingly, but not really, call any, any Panera Bread in Montgomery County and show them a picture. Do you know these two people? They're going to tell you yes. Mm -hmm. they're, they're eating. They're eating fine. Okay. Um, look at my brother, my mother's last blood work. You know, that's all you need to do. You can see that her nutrition, I think the only thing, even when she entered the facility, the only thing that was at all off was her vitamin D was low, which you can say for about 80% of Americans, I mean, pretty much yeah. everybody has a vitamin D deficiency. Mm -hmm. So if you had ch check her blood work, she's 84 years old. She's taking two medications. How many people can say that? I wish. Um, an 84 year old woman taking two medications who, whose children see mm -hmm. her on a daily basis and drop her off at restaurants and bring them to her house to, you know, she was coming to our house a lot for meals. Also, why does she need to have food in her house? Okay. Right. So they wouldn't listen to any of this. They wouldn't listen to any of this. It was just like they decided there should be food in your house and a certain type of food. You know, her county appointed mm -hmm. lawyer said she's not having a hot breakfast. I don't care. <laughs> she doesn't care. You know what? I, I was on the distinguished honor roll. So were my siblings all through high school. Ask me how many times I had a hot breakfast. None. Zero. Okay. Uh, right. We got, we got up. 
we threw our clothes on, we went to school, okay? Um, thank God no one came after my mother and said, your children aren't having a hot breakfast, you know? Oh, exactly. Um, <laughs> That's a good but, point. Yeah. I mean, really, I don't think I ever had a hot breakfast. I think maybe three or four times a year on a Sunday, if we went out or something, you know, um, many people don't have a hot breakfast. Many people have cereal or a fig bar or don't there are, there are days I've never had breakfast. There are days I don't have breakfast. I don't eat. There's days I don't eat till dinner time. But anyway, they had these very strict parameters that they decided we weren't meeting that somehow turned this, this um, report of need into neglect, which was very untrue. Mm -hmm. They also faced the fact that the house, the house was cluttered and the house did need some repairs. And we never disputed that either. However, what you do is you say, hey, this is part of the reason we were reaching out for help. We recognized that we were doing a lot, a lot, a lot but we couldn't quite accomplish everything that needed to be done. Please mm -hmm. give us some help. Again, I caution everybody, do not do that, okay? Mm -hmm. These agencies, these systems are in place to support the system, okay? They are not in place to help you. What happens is they can get their hands on someone, they can get their money, they get grant money, okay? They get mm -hmm. grant money. So they can say, we helped. Uh, 420 seniors this year. Do they have to care what happened to the person after they allegedly helped them, shoved them in a place where they were allegedly better off? No, they don't have to account for it. They don't have to follow up on it. They don't have to do anything. They just say, we helped 420 seniors. Okay. So anyway, this is still August. Um, we're dealing with, you know, the fact that we're just told basically the house has to be cleaned up okay, we enlisted some help. Um, and again, you know, we probably could have gotten some of these people, but you know, all our friends aren't going to just say, Hey, I'll drop everything that I'm doing to go, you know, clean at your mother's house. Mm -hmm. So once we realized that, um, it was basically a requirement to get the house cleaned up, we had some people that offered, you know, and again, on a limited time basis, not these people are necessarily going to come and, uh, you know, be there all the time, but we, really accomplished a lot in a very short period of time. My brother also did enlist a professional service that came in and did some of the purging and sanitizing and so forth. So we mm -hmm. were on top of it. Um, we, and we ever since then have maintained it and they've never bothered to check that either. Um, we just needed that extra push and we didn't end up getting it from the county. We ended up getting it from friends. And again, had I had any idea it was going to go in this direction, I would have probably harassed my friends sooner, just said, mm -hmm. please just, you know, um, maybe I shouldn't say harass, but you know, um, said, please, we, you know, we really need some help. I realize you all have your own lives. You're busy. You all have jobs in your own pets and your mm -hmm. own family and your own everything. But can you just lend us a couple of days to really just focus on doing some purging here and get, I would have done that. Um, we didn't really see it as critical, even though it was, you know, messy and it needed some, some repairs, which we did get done. Uh, because they were comfortable. My mother had lived like this, um, not quite to the extent. So again, I'm not delusional. I'm not saying, oh, the house was gorgeous, but I still don't, I don't think it warranted anything that happened subsequently. Mm -hmm. So in any case, again, when we were young, um, we lived amongst, you know, paper clutter and book clutter and toy clutter, and mm -hmm. we had pet rescue pets and we had all this. And this is, this was comfortable and, and uh, normal. And my mother was comfortable and normal with it. They made it out to be like she was not safe. Um, now, granted, again, some of it should have been cleared out, and it was. But she was in a bedroom that we attend intentionally when we bought the condo. We got her where the bedroom had a bathroom in it. So she had a very short distance to get to the bathroom. Um, and she was comfortable sitting in that room and just kind of talking to my brother whenever she was at home and talking on the phone to whoever, you know, her sisters and her friends and getting out of the house pretty much daily, we would pick her up. Uh, so again, they claimed that my brother forced her to stay in this room, uh, which was not, which was not true. Uh, her eyesight had made it um, scary for her to do anything on her own and she didn't want to. She wouldn't have gone into the kitchen on her own, even if it was there were a clearer path. Uh, she wanted to sit in the room. She wanted to stay in the room near the bathroom. 
And she knew that she was not stuck in that room like a prison where she is now, where she wasn't allowed to even leave the building for three months before we went back to court. Uh, so she was comfortable knowing that she was surrounded by family, that she was going to get out on an almost daily basis. There would be a day now and then where we'd say, hey, why don't you just hang out at home and read or something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and reading had become difficult with her for her eye, but we went to a lot of trouble also to get like, you know, not just large print, the large print that's out there wasn't even really good enough for her. I printed stuff from the computer all the time, like Sudoku, she loved um, word puzzles. I would like put, print them out on the computer and like this giant print. So they didn't look at any of this, like, what are these things you're doing to give your mother some comfort level in life? And you know, make her, put her at ease, make sure that she knows that people love her and that she's surrounded by people that care what happens to her on a daily basis and that she's engaged in an activity and that her mind, even though it's starting to dwindle, is, is experiencing ongoing conversation with people that really care about her and, and engaging in, you know, doing her word puzzles and anything else that we could do to maintain the memory that she had left. They didn't look at any of that. They basically mm -hmm. said, Oh, the house is messy. She was in a coat in August, which by the way, she had just come out of an air conditioned home. And she again was always in it. You ask anybody at the facility right now, I could get a hundred people to tell you she won't take, she's either in a coat or a robe. She'll have on three sweatshirts and a robe. It doesn't matter if the, what, you know, what the temperature is, what the time of year is, where she's going. I've tried when I'm getting her to leave the facility to come home with me for the day, which I've been doing on Sundays to say, mom, it's 90 degrees out, take off your coat. No, don't touch my coat. They didn't care about any of this. They had mm -hmm. this very specific idea of what a person should be dressed like and mm -hmm. what kind of food should be in a person's house and so forth. Um, and then um, they started looking at things like, then they started really micromanaging our lives. They started looking at things like, um, she had a lot of credit cards. Find me an American that doesn't have a lot of credit cards, okay? Right. Um, my brother was actually quite frugal and good at finding things like deals, um, you know, the 0%, you know, this is 0% for 15 months. Okay. Um, and then they said, well, their credit cards were all over the house and someone could have stolen them. It wasn't good for, I'm like, who, who are these people that were going to steal them? No one was going in, you know, mm -hmm. so they took every single little thing. Should the credit cards have been laying around on the floor? No, they shouldn't have. Is that put, putting her in a fight and, you know, basically, but they were, they were accusing us of like, basically not taking care of her finances and financial exploitation and, you know, all this kind of thing You're, that we were using this money that from the sale of our house, instead of taking care of her, I'm like, no, I mean, how do you prove that your mother said to you, because hey, you're going to need proof six years from now that your mother said, Hey dolls, you've been taking care of me. Um, go ahead and use this money if you need to. Um, and we did, we paid some of our mortgage payments. Remember that she lived with us for 15 months. Mm -hmm. And um, so she wanted to help do things like when she came into the money from the sale of our home, she wanted to do things like help us catch up on, you know, uh, mortgage payments. I mean, we were paying our mortgage, but we were, you know, we were struggling. Everybody in this was also in a, you know, a time when we were, I had uh, had a long-term job for 27 years that went through a regional restructuring. Uh, so I had, you know, been struggling for a bit financially and she was aware of this. So uh, there was no, there was no nefarious behind the scenes, like tricking her or anything like that. Um, some of these credit cards had been open for decades, decades. Mm -hmm. They were acting like, oh, well, she was losing her memory. So you ran out and you open all these mm -hmm. cards in her name so that you could buy all this stuff. That's not what happened at all. And again, did you ask one single person that's known us? No, mm -hmm. anybody that's known us ever. And we do a lot of nonprofit work. We've again, like, like you said at the beginning, we've been very community oriented. There are hundreds of people that have known us for years and years and years that would say we're the last family on earth that would take advantage of each other. We are there for each other. We do what we need to do. We just happened to be in a situation at that point in time that we were, you know, financially struggling, struggling a little. And I'm sorry, I, you know, we don't all live on lawyer salaries, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, um, and my mother also appreciated the fact that when she was having a lot of, um, you know, trouble with her eyesight and so forth, we, we took in her pets. 
Mm -hmm. um, she had two cats. Um, there were a lot of things that were going on that we were managing. Uh, we, we handled even before she lost her eye, we were mostly, you know, the ones taking her cats to the vet and, you know, doing a lot of things for her because she was, even before she lost her eye, 77. And there were just things we would, you know, that any decent family member would do to help out. Mm -hmm. So she knew all this and this was going on for a long time. She wanted to help us. She was in a position to help us. We had sold this house. And again, the house sold for, I want to say like $135,000 or something. It, you know, we're not talking a multi-million dollar home where we were like, oh, great. We're going to take ourselves on round the world vacations and dump you here in this place, right? That did not happen. Um, we did not spend any of that money on anything for Valis whatsoever. Um, we were basically just, you know, uh, helping pay our bills. And I mean, her bills were getting paid, which by the way, now they're not. So this uh, woman they assigned as guardian uh, and everything is an excuse. It's complicated. Um, the children were, were um, we have a fraud investigation going on because the children were stealing her money. So I can't pay any of the bills because there's this fraud investigation going on. I think that's actually outright false, not just on the, on the fact that, you know, that there's no fraud, but also I don't understand even under those circumstances, why a guardian who's supposed to take better care of their finances than we were, mm -hmm. isn't required to make minimum payments on credit mm -hmm. cards instead of letting them get uh, late payments. You know, um, I've been getting calls from creditors because uh, she had my name as secondary on like a lot of my numbers, not my numbers on a lot of um, her things, my numbers on her mortgage. Um, I actually mm -hmm. was a payer on her mortgage, not, not for the purposes of the loan, but um, so I've been getting, I've gotten phone calls from debt collectors. I'm like, this is kind of crazy. And mm -hmm. um, one of the other things that happened was she had been in, she had been hospitalized a, a couple years before all this happened. And my brother was trying to work out a bill with the skilled nursing facility where she had been for about a month or so. And um, we were trying to work it out through Medicare. Medicare um, stopped paying after a while. And we tried to put in a, a dispute about that. And we were in the process of working all this out. My brother mentioned to a lawyer who, by the way, ended up being the lawyer who accused us of all this, took information my brother had given to him and utilized it he said that we weren't paying the bills because of the fact that this one medical bill was basically in in dispute or you know we were basically uh in the claim in the process of trying to make sure the claim got paid but that we were working at a payment plan i guess is the mm. best way to describe it so it was this large skilled nursing uh facility uh bill and the payments were, we were making payments of like a hundred dollars a month or something like that. And, um, so my brother had actually reached out to this, this lawyer that he just happened to find. Um, I can't remember the circumstances under which he found this particular lawyer. I'd have to ask him, but basically saying, you know, that we needed help with this, this bill. It, it's something about someone who kind of assisted with these types of, of problems. Mm -hmm. But anyway, turns out he was an, el an elder care lawyer and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, he ended up being, so anyway, he had a lot of information from my brother that to me should have been sort of confidential. Well, I guess my brother wasn't technically paying him, so it, he technically wasn't a client, but my brother had had a conversation with his office for about an hour explaining some of the circumstances. They took this and used it all against us. Um, mm -hmm basically saying things weren't getting paid. That's not what happened. Again, they, they turn everything upside down. So um, I tell everybody, even don't even call an elder care lawyer until you've vetted that person. Ask everybody you know if they've used anyone because a lot of these lawyers are, again, the elder care lawyers are not necessarily honest. They want to help get people in the system. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this particular elder care lawyer ended up being the attorney for the, and I do guardian in quotes because I don't, to me that at this point in my life, that word is actually kind of like poison. It's like, wow, you know, a year ago, it sounded like a wonderful thing. You know, like you hear all your life, your guardian angel, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, now I'm like, this is what it means. This person can owns you and controls you. So mm -hmm. anyway, that, that's a lot of the background. 
So what happened was, um, I know I'm kind of jumping all over, but it's kind of hard not to because there's so many things in my brain. Oh, no, you're doing great. I think you're explaining really, this, this is very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I just want everybody to know that this is the kind of stuff. And, you know, again, I've never claimed to be perfect. I'm not going to say, you know, hey, I'm not the greatest housekeeper on earth. Were there things we weren't doing that, that maybe we could have been doing a little more of? Well, not really time-wise. I mean, I defy you to find adult children that were doing nearly as much for, you know, that, that do this much for their parents. I mean, there are very few that do this much. So the fact that we couldn't do everything and that was held against us to me is, is so incredibly atrocious. I don't even know where to start, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's nice that other people have enough money to go around paying everybody else to do all these things. And it's nice that people don't have demanding jobs where they're not getting paid what they're worth so that mm -hmm. they maybe have to work a lot of extra hours um, but, you know, we weren't, we were in a situation where, you know, um, we were, you know, hey, if someone was throwing money down my chimney, I would have spent 24 hours a day with my mother, you know, but we were in a situation where we were doing everything we possibly could with the, with the parameters we were, we were given. Um, and so anyway, basically what happens is I did talk to the social worker at length. We were under the impression that they might give us this person called a guardian who, as she put it, would check in on the house periodically, um, that once you get things cleaned up, they're going to kind of come in maybe a couple times a month, just make sure things are staying how they are. And maybe this person would make a few medical appointments for you or something. Mm. So, we're, so we did not fight it from the beginning because it sounded like a good thing. It sounded like a happy thing. It sounded like a helpful thing. Um, then mm. this petition comes. And it basically says um, all these horrible things about the house and about us and everything else. Um, I wrote an official dispute to it. Then we, we enlisted a lawyer um, who was a decent guy, just um, really didn't know much about the whole guardianship thing and really didn't guide us well. And in retrospect, had I known any of this was going to happen, I would have done a lot more research on who's been in this arena and all that kind of thing. But anyway, and I actually don't think this particular guy was part of the scheme. I really don't. He just didn't know much about the process. Um, but we enlisted a lawyer and I actually gave an official dispute to this petition. Um, he ended up saying that we were not, um, we were not disputing the petition. And what, what we said was we were not disputing my mother's cognitive impairment. We were recognizing that she had such, um, but we were disputing the petition. There were many things in the petition and I had written an official document sort of that said, these are all the things that were wrong. One of them being, and I think this should have been, and I don't know enough about law and no lawyer seems to care or want to help me with this, but um, one of the things in the petition was they made up, they made up a fictitious brother. They gave us a fictitious brother. Um, this should have been thrown out to me on the face of it. This petition was invalid, but it didn't matter. Okay. So in the petition somewhere, it says, um, Andre Livingston, who, whom none of us have ever heard of. It's not even like someone I had lunch with once in my life. I have no idea who Andre Livingston is. Andre Livingston, as Elsie's son, will be able to continue to also make, you know, medical appointments and so forth. I, ha I have everything, all this in writing. I'm happy to share it. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, so number one, this person... This, this person is in, listed in a petition as a fictitious sibling. I don't understand. Now, gr granted, this isn't criminal uh, court, but aren't things typically thrown out when there, when there are details that are completely false? So to me, like mm -hmm. that should have just been thrown out, started over, but no, no, it didn't matter. That was just one of the many things. So I'm like, then the person, the person at the Department of Aging signs, you know, oh, I confirm that all these details are, well, obviously you didn't read it because there's a fictitious brother in here. So that to me brings in, into question, did you really read this thing at all? Did you really confirm any of these details at all? I think not. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the other things it said in there was that the daughters could not be reached and um, were not involved, which was an outright complete and utter lie. Um, and I think that was just put in there for the sake of kind of pushing this through and saying, hey, there's no one in the family that's willing to take care of this woman. And she's living with her son who has, um, you know, some disabilities. Now, remember, they're making like he's laying around and she has to change his diapers or something. And all of a sudden, 
you know, he can't take care of her. That's not the case at all. Okay. No, it, when I had a bachelor's degree too. Yes. He actually has multiple degrees. Um, uh, so his, 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 he's perfectly, so, so this same lawyer that, um, he had spoken to about a month before the, the hearing said at the hearing, why would you leave her with a person that can't even dial 911? And I was so shocked. This is the other thing I want people to wear, be aware of. If you end up in court, be prepared to be shocked by things that are going to come up that have no basis in fact, and that you're going to be so caught off guard that I don't know how to tell people to actually respond because when you're in that position it's it's hard to just respond the way you want to but I was so caught off guard I was like I have no idea why this statement is being made and I said I have no idea what you're talking about of course he can dial 911 a two-year-old can dial 911 so when they hear he's disabled or handicapped or whatever they're they're acting like you know he's um you know completely like he's a quadriplegic and we're leaving her in the house with a quadriplegic, not, I'm not insulting quadriplegic, obviously, but I'm just saying that's not the situation. He's ambulatory. Um, he's on the phone all the time. He clearly had spoken to this lawyer. So why can he dial this lawyer, but he can't dial 911? Mm -hmm. So I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Of course he can dial 911. And he says, well, wasn't there a time when 911 was needed? And I said, yes. Um, again, this is how they twist everything. Um, I said, yes, my mother had broken her hip at one point. And um, she had to go, she had to be hospitalized. This is when, this is what, what was what led to the skilled nursing bill that we were still working, trying to work out. So he says, well, but he wasn't the one that called 911, was he? And I said, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I don't understand why does that matter? If, haven't you ever been in a situation where like 911 is necessary and like 52 people are there kind of looking and a bunch of people might pick up the phone and call? The fact that he might not have, and I don't know if he was or not, I'd ha again, I was in the courtroom. So I'm like, I can't call him and ask, right? Are you the first person that called 911? I don't know. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Mm -hmm. Regardless, even if he didn't, he was there, you know, like being scared and worried about my mother. And there were other people there and she got to the hospital. What does it matter who picked up the phone and dialed 911? And how does that prove he can't do it? So mm -hmm. this is the way they twist things. Um, so first of all, he throws this question at me and I was so taken back that I, I was like, I, I, ugh. you know, you're like yeah, in right. this courtroom and this is how a lot of the questions are. You're like, you, you think about, you know, just like a lot of things in your life. I wish, I wish, I wish I had done this in retrospect, I should have said that, but right now you're under pressure. People are firing questions. At you. You're being accused of things. It's very difficult um, and I'm a very rational person. I have a math degree. I tend to look at like, what do I do? How do I fix this? You know, which is what mm -hmm. I've been trying to do now. Who do I call? What, who do I write to? What do I, you know, that's how I reached you. Thank God. Um, you know, I'm just constantly out there trying to figure out what do I do about this problem? How do I correct it? So I'm pretty good at like thinking on my feet and remaining rational under fire, under pressure and whatever, but still these things are being fired at you. You don't know what to say. You don't, you know, uh, um, and of course there are things I wish I had said differently, but, um, they just misconstrued and misrepresented so many things. It was shocking, literally shocking. Uh, so basically what happened was we, we responded to the petition by kind of stating some things that we knew were wrong and incorrect in the petition. And, uh, we also, they had put forth the guardian, um, in the petition that we looked into the background of and we disputed her based on her background. So we had put forth a family friend we've known for 35 years who actually helped my father when he was in assisted living. My father's been gone for 10 years now, but last three years of his life, he was in assisted living. And the last year he, you know, as people do before they die, he was, you know, losing functionality and so forth. And so we had a friend that went over um, every other Saturday and actually sat with him, um, you know, went through his bills. Uh, his mind was still clear. He just had, um, he had been hit by, hit by a drunk driver and he had a lot of surgeries and they had over the years made, he was almost incapable of doing anything physical. So, um, but his mind was clear. So he could sit and talk to you about like what needed to be done, what needed to be filed, all that. So she would go over 
and she would write out checks for him and that kind of thing. And at that point I had to sign them. I was his POA. I had to sign them, but she would sit and she would go through bills with him and talk to him, keep him company. Um, so we had put her forth as a good, you know, good caregiver. She had also worked in um, a couple of um, uh, facilities with, you know, with uh, people that have to stay in the facilities overnight. Um, I think they were mostly mental health facilities, but she had a lot of experience with caretaking and we trusted her. My brother trusted her. My mother trusted her and we put her forth as the guardian. So we went into court trying to present her as, okay, the, the lawyer, the, the alleged legal representative, I call her alleged because she's a lawyer, but I don't think she represented my mother. Mm -hmm. She represented um, the system that wanted to get my mother into it. Uh, mm -hmm. She was very vicious to us from the get-go. The first time I talked to her, she started screaming at me. Why were you neglecting your mother? I'm like, you never, you never met me before. You don't know anything about the situation except for what you read on this piece of paper that has some blatant mistruths in it. Again, including the fact that we have uh, a fictional sibling. So why does this fictional sibling not matter to anybody but me that this report was written so hastily? Think about this. You don't even take the time to proofread it enough to know there's an, a, a person in there that doesn't, that doesn't exist in our lives. And I'm supposed to believe that everything else in there is factual. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, but she just believed at face value, everything in the petition, which was very exaggerated. Um, again, saying things like she wasn't, well, she wasn't, she, we never changed her clothes because she had a coat on that was dirty. I'm sorry. She could have just eaten something, you know, 20 to 20 minutes ago that spilled on her coat. You know, I'm sorry. I can't be there every minute of the day to wash her clothes. We were washing her clothes. Okay. Um, we were making sure she ate. We were getting her to appointments. All these things in the petition were basically like her teeth are in bad shape. Uh, okay. My grandmother died at 65. For many years prior to that, she had false teeth. Mm -hmm. My aunt tells a story of her growing up. My aunt will tell the story of her and my mom growing up and having to go get their mother's false teeth. This is when they were children. Her mother had false teeth. Her mm -hmm. father also had false teeth as long as I knew him. I don't know exactly when, you know, they came about. But the fact of the matter, is she had two parents with false teeth. So she's 84 and she has bad teeth. Is this a crime? And does this prove we're not taking her somewhere? And did you call the dentist that I told you she went to and get records? No. Um, so don't try to tell me that I'm not taking care of my mother because she's 84 and has bad teeth. So these were all mm -hmm. the things they like would hyper-focused on these things had nothing to do with reality okay blow them Again, out of proportion exactly yes she has bad teeth she has bad teeth okay her sister has bad teeth her parents both had false teeth like i'm saying my grandmother um i don't know exactly how old she was when she started wearing them but my aunt tells the story of when she was about my aunt was about 10 and had and she would say mother would say i'll love you forever and a day if you go get my false teeth it's actually kind of a cute story um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my grandmother would say that about a lot of stuff. I'll love you forever and a day if you go, if you help me put my shoes on. Like that was one of her say her sayings, you know. But anyway, um, so if my aunt was around ten, you're thinking my grandmother was, you know, at the most in her forties probably, and she had false teeth. So they didn't look at any family history. Uh, they didn't look at my mother's worn a coat for twenty years, regardless of the temperature and regardless of where she is. Um, and she'll tell you, my mother always called me a frozen turnip. My mother called me a frozen turnip. Um, she was cold even as a child. She was mm -hmm. always dressing what they decided was inappropriately, okay? I have pictures of birthday parties where we're in sundresses and she's in a coat, okay? Her birthday's mm -hmm. in August. Um, inside, she'd be in a coat. We'd be in sundresses, she'd be in a coat in August, okay? Mm -hmm. um, they didn't care. They didn't care about any of the explanation. Uh, oh, they said her bathtub was dirty. I said, well, you know, it drains poorly. So maybe, you know, I wasn't there, you know, well, I wasn't actually inside the house quite a lot, to be honest. Um, we were at the point where we mostly brought her, uh, and they stayed in hotels a lot. That's another thing. They were accusing my brother of financial exploitation. They always stayed in hotels a lot. My brother got all these credit cards. One of the reasons is, um 
for the zero balance transfers, which I think is legitimate and which a lot of people do, but then they would get a lot of free hotel points and they didn't travel at all. Um, mm -hmm. The only time they ever traveled was um, we took, we went with them to um, my cousin's wedding in Florida is really the only, I took my mother to Florida one other time to meet, to, to stay with her sister who lives down there. Um, but that's other than that, they don't go anywhere. So they would use these hotel points and they would just say, we have hotel points. We're going to go stay in, um, you know, the residence in for two weeks because why not? You know, we get maid service and we get free breakfast and all this. They did that a lot. And my sister and I would always go over there and help her shower, bathe or whatever. She spent a lot of overnights at our house, even after she wasn't living here anymore. So again, the claim was her bathtub was dirty. She clearly wasn't getting cleaned at home. I told her she's not going to take a bath at home if one of us aren't there anyway. So it's irrelevant. She's bathed, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, she, she, she's bathed. I mean, they won't believe anything we said. Again, it took, it took just took one surface quick look at the house. They did not give us any parameters that said, um, hey, uh, make sure X, Y, Z is done by a certain time. Didn't do that just sent this petition with all these things in it. As a matter of fact, before we got the petition, uh, they had told my brother, you know, it's, this is terrible, get this all cleaned up. And like I said, we had enlisted people, we had done this. Um, I actually took money out of my 401k to get a floor repair done. Once we had gotten some of the uh, stuff out of the way, I saw that there had been um, probably a leak at some point. Um, actually the people above, cause they live in a condo, they're on the first floor, people, people above them, the people above them, had so many leaks. There are big giant spots all over the ceiling from, I think both bathrooms upstairs leaking and I don't even know what else. So I don't even know how much of this came, you know, came into their place from that or how much was from a leak they had or a toilet overflow. I don't really know. All I know is once we had cleared some stuff out, uh, I found that there was, you know, there was a floor repair that needed to be done and, and we got it done. And I have, you know, paperwork showing that we got it done. Mm -hmm. Um, they never said have XYZ done by a certain date. However, in the petition, it said they had given JG, that's my brother, um, reachable goals and he had not attained them. Well, we don't know what the reachable goals were. We never saw them in writing. We never saw <laughs> them. We never had them verbally. I never got an email. I never got a phone call except for this one from this woman. Basically, I talked to her twice, once at the very beginning and then once a few weeks later when she was checking in with me to see how things were going. And I said, they're staying in a hotel so that we can, you know, continue to clean out the place. Um, and I see we're running out of time. So what I'm going to do is tell you a little bit about what's happened since, which is horrible. Mm -hmm. But anyway, point being, they lied about the attainable goals. Almost everything in this petition was a lie. Um, mm -hmm. we, we reached the goals. No one came back to check. No one came back to check. All right. So then we're in court. Uh, they declare my mother incompetent, in, in um, incapacitated, and she does have memory issues, and we never disputed that. Uh, but they decided that this woman that we put forth as a guardian could not be one because, and I quote, the family will influence her too much and continue to steal her money and continue to steal their mother's money. So they didn't want anybody related to us in any way. So, so here in court, they say, here's this woman. They put this woman on the stand. She starts saying how she has 60. Now, remember this, these guardians, there's no, no qualification whatsoever to be a professional guardian. You sign a piece of paper. I'm a professional guardian. They put mm -hmm. themselves forth as a professional. I have 70 clients. That sucks. How are you going to take care of 70 people? How are you going to mm -hmm. oversee 70 people? So point being, they put this, and here we are in court. We have no chance to check this woman out. What is her background? What has she done? Does anybody have anything to say about her? How does she normally handle her business? Nothing. Bam. You own Elsie now. So she owns Elsie. She comes up to me and says, okay, I'm in charge of your mother now. What's her social security number? Bang. She doesn't want to know anything about um, what does she need? What does she like? What kind of things does she eat? Um, you know, what would make her comfortable? Anything. And Manor mm -hmm. Care has a bed. I'm like, what does that mean? Well, it means she's going to go there. So they didn't say to us, oh, let's take her home. Let's like kind of figure out where is she going to go next? What would make her comfortable? What does she need to bring, bring with her? Just bang, Manor Care has a bed. She's going to go there. There was a man that had been waiting since we got there. So the outcome was obviously predetermined. The hearing was a sham. It was something mm -hmm. required 
to get something on the books. Didn't matter what we said, what we did. Clearly hadn't mattered all along what we said, what we did. There was a man waiting to take my mother away. Right that minute. Can you go home and get a bra? No. Just get in the car with this strange man. She's screaming. Why? You promised you wouldn't send me away. Why are you doing oh, this to no. me? I don't want to go. I don't know this person. We were just stunned. And we're like, we said, can we ride in the car with them? No, you can't. They, they thought we were going to like, I don't know, hold the man at gunpoint and make them go to Tahiti or something. I don't know. So anyway, she, she, we, we finally got her in the car because we didn't have a choice. The county employees who started this, including the social worker who was supposed mm. to be, you know, versed in mental health issues that people are dealing with, right? Isn't that what a social worker is supposed to do? Mm -hmm. um, just stands there staring at us. Didn't say, try to console my mother at all. Nothing. So she gets in this car. Meanwhile, the guardian is where? Where? No place. Didn't speak to my mother. Didn't see that she got into the car safely. Didn't go to the facility to see if she got settled. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So we go get my brother who was not in court with us. We didn't want him in court. We thought it would be too difficult for him. Um, mm -hmm. It was difficult for us, but um, anyway, go get him. We all go to the facility. Um, they have no idea what she needs. They have no idea she has a prosthetic eye. They have no idea what she needs to eat. She's screaming, I'm a vegetarian. What are you bringing me? And um, they, you know, no one bothered to find out anything. They didn't have a care plan. Still don't. I've asked for it multiple times. They're supposed to have one. So essentially took her from the courtroom and stuck her in a place where she's been living for eight months without anybody knowing anything about her when she got there. And for three months, she was not allowed to leave the building. She missed on my, my uncle's funeral, this man has, was married to her sister for 66 years. She loved this man for 69 years. They had been dating for a while before that. She loved this man for 69 years and was not allowed to leave the building because we were not allowed to transport her. We were put under supervised restricted visitation. Mm. I mean, and, and so she was completely isolated. One of the worst things you can do for a dementia patient Mm -hmm. is extract them abruptly from their life and not have them in any familiar surroundings. She didn't mm -hmm. see the sun for three months. Had we not fought tooth and nail to get the court date expedited to March, it was supposed to be June. Um, she probably would be, I mean, I, I have to watch what I say because I don't know, she might not be dead, but you know, she, she was, she's dwindled so much because she wasn't allowed access. She wasn't allowed to go outside. They canceled, um, dental professional appointments. They can't, they, they were not, she, she was not, this guardian wasn't taking her anywhere. Didn't mm -hmm. even, you know, sit with her to find out what she needed. Didn't take her to any appointments. In the same week, she had a severe wrist break and a head injury that the mm -hmm. staff told us looked like a crime scene. She didn't get in, she didn't get taken to an emergency room or an urgent care. The next day they brought in a portable x-ray machine and said her wrist wasn't that bad. But when I was able to take her, this just so happened to be right after, thank God, our court date where we got them to say we could take her to doctor's appointments because other before that she wasn't being taken. I mean, I think they have people that stop in the facility and visit periodically, but we don't even know because they didn't have to tell us. Mm -hmm. So when I took her to the orthopedic surgeon, and I believe I sent you that recording, he was mm -hmm. shocked that she was in her wrist, her very broken wrist was in an ACE bandage for a week. Not, not a sling, not a, not a brace, nothing, just an ace bandage. And they claimed that she caused her own head injury by getting up with a broken wrist and falling down. Why was this allowed to happen? Why, mm -hmm. if once you have a broken wrist, you're 84 years old, you have one eye, you, you have dementia. You're in a facility that's allegedly going to keep you safe, but you, with a broken wrist, are allowed to get up by yourself so that you can smack your head on something and get a head injury. She's mm. had a black and blue eye. She's had a black and blue nose. She's had gigantic bruises all over her. Um, none of this seems to matter. We can't get any type of emergency injunction to get in charge of her. We have to go back to court and rely on the same judge that put us in this situation to pray that uh, we're allowed back in, in, in control of her health care. Um, we just switched lawyers. We're in the process. Uh, I don't know if this lawyer is any better, but we just felt like we wanted to go a different direction since we hadn't made much progress before. Um, we, I just spent a lot of time writing up some information for a petition about everything that's happened in the last bunch of months. The guardian, mm -hmm. um, the guardian, when we started complaining about, uh, the facility, uh, 
did nothing about it and instead called my brother, my other brother, and said, can you get your sisters to stop sending me so many emails? I can't keep up with their emails. And he said to her, why don't you just do something about them and then maybe they'll stop sending so many. Mm -hmm. So she mm -hmm. was trying to get him on her side. He was not at the first hearing, so she presumed that he wouldn't care and he would like give her dirt about us or something. So she's trying to play us against each other. Mm -hmm. um, instead, what happened is he got much more involved, <laughs> thank God, and um, basically told her, just do what you're supposed to do and do what my sisters are asking you to do. And then maybe they'll stop sending you so many emails. And isn't that their, your job to read their emails? And why do they have to be telling you this stuff in the first place? Why am I telling you that my, that my mother's um, you know, got a black and blue nose? Or why am I telling you that she has no toilet paper? Why am I telling you that she's been in the same clothes for 10 days? Why am I telling you she's not being bathed? All these things we were being accused of, yet she's in a facility with people that are being paid to do these things. And they allegedly can't handle it because she's disruptive and she doesn't want to get changed. Okay, but we didn't get a pass for anything, even though we were doing everything. But they get a pass, even though it's a paid facility where she was allegedly going to be safer, better fed, the food is, of course, institutionalized junk. Um, she can't stand most of it. When she asks for a snack, they bring her cookies. Uh, we still bring her, you know, seaweed and fig bars and nuts and things that she actually gets some nutrition from. How is this helping her? Her nutrition isn't better. Her sanitation isn't better. Her mental health is much worse. Mm -hmm. um, her physical health is much worse. She's had multiple injuries. Um, mm. She, When she went in, she was walking pretty much upright on a walker. Now she's like, oh, you know, now granted people are going to decline in eight months, but not to this extent and not this quickly. And the most difficult thing is her emotional health. She has been touched by strange people, not just a bunch of people that work there, but residents, they come get in her bed, they eat her food, they take her clothes. How is this better? This is better for no one. Do not let your family member come under care of a guardian. If you can avoid family court, avoid family court. Do not call a county agency. Do anything you can. Call me. I don't care. I have a Facebook. I'm on Facebook. You can also, um, you can look at my just regular Facebook page under my name. I'm on the 2021 Guardianship Court Corruption um, pay, uh, group. Uh, please reach out to me and many other people there that we are a support group for each other. Um, we're happy to discuss things and try to give you, you any type of, of, as we found out some things on our own that the county should have told us, like the Montgomery County Association for the Blind, who we were going to have help her in her home, but they wouldn't allow us to do so. There are resources out there. Um, you know, I do fault myself for not finding some of these things sooner. I wish I had. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, again, we were so focused on just her day-to-day -day care but there are resources. Please reach out to me. Please reach out to anybody that's been through this. I will do whatever I can to help you and do not call the county. I don't care what state you live in, what county you live in, don't do it. Now, you also said you were in touch with Rick Black, who I yes, did yes. have on my podcast. Yes, yes. And um, I would like to have you come back on maybe August for an update. Sure, absolutely. We have a court date July 26th. Mm -hmm. um, I feel we've done more way up and above beyond what any family would do to stay involved under these very difficult circumstances, being scrutinized constantly and still making sure that we do as much as we possibly can for our mother, given the, you know, the restrictions that we have, although the restrictions were lessened after we went to court in March, thank God, we actually have a court order saying we can take her out of the building. So we've been doing that as much as possible, but we mm -hmm. have no idea what's going to happen with these financial exploitation complaints for all I know, when we go back to court, you know, they're going to slam us with something. We don't know. Um, you know, again, the bills haven't been getting paid. I know she's going to claim it's because, you know, there was no money because we took all of it. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, mm. We're hoping my we're hoping to get me back in charge of um, my mother's guardian of the person so that I can make the so now I can take her. Let me tell you one more thing real quick. Uh, so one example of how horrible this is. She had an oral surgeon appointment. So I go. She's not. She's just, she's asleep. I go to the facility. I get her ready. She's wet. I get her ready. She's, mm -hmm. they've been better about her be, not being wet now that I've complained so much, but I, I had a complaint anyway. Mm -hmm. So she was wet. I got her ready. I take her out. I drive her. I, I, you know, console her the whole way in the car about what, what's going to get done with, you know, that she's going to see this oral surgeon. I take her into the building. I fill out the family history. 
I sit, she's holding my hand in the waiting room. I'm giving her comfort that, you know, someone's with her. She's introducing me to everybody. You can ask anybody. She'll say, isn't my beautiful daughter, isn't my daughter beautiful inside Aww. and out? This is the kind of relationship we have. This is mm -hmm. not someone that should be taken away from their family. There is mm -hmm. nothing neglectful or abusive going on here. She had a messy house. We cleaned it up. That's the extent of it. Anyway, so I'm at the world, so fill out the family history, back to that, all this stuff, this is taking hours, right? Fill out the family history, go into the appointment with her, introduce her, you know, answer all the questions that the, 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 the dental tech and the, the oral surgeon have. Uh, explain to her, you know, she's getting x-rays, we're talking about whether she can have extractions done, she's scared, she doesn't want any teeth pulled, we're telling her it might be necessary, but we're not doing it right now. I'm doing all this, I'm with her for hours, all right, through this whole process. I can't sign a HIPAA form for her and I can't sign a paper saying, yes, go ahead and take a tooth out. Mm. Where is the guardian? The guardian's not at the appointment. The guardian's not calling into the appointment. The guardian's not uh, trying to find out what she needs done. I suppose it's my job to report it to her, though I do report to the facility. So they get the, you know, they get the papers that say, so her thing would be, well, she gets the papers from the facility. Well, then what's her function? What is her function exactly? So mm. I can do absolutely everything for my mother. You know, I can dress her, I can give her a comfort level, I can, you know, I can fill out family history, I can take her to the appointments, I can, and be, you know, I, but I can't sign a HIPAA form. What kind mm. of sense does this make? Mm -hmm. And this woman is getting paid. God knows what she's writing in her journal that's going to get rubber stamped. I spent 14 hours um, on Elsie's appointments, meaning she got the report from the facility or something. I don't even know what it means. This is, this is, this is an insane system. Please, mm -hmm. anybody that's, that's even approaching uh, needing assistance, just contact me before you contact an agency. That's all I'm asking. I so appreciate you coming on to talk about this. And like I said, I definitely want you back on, you know, perhaps in August. I would love to do that. Absolutely. Just okay. send us, send us everybody, send us, you know, best wishes, prayers, whatever that is court date next week goes in our favor. Um, I don't have high hopes because I know how the system works, but we're going to try. Okay. I definitely will be praying. Um, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Jenny Ryman Schneider in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for the opportunity.